We begin today's Shur 6 lines from the top of Daf Pei Vav. Before we continue with the Gemara itself, we glance at the side where we have a no say, a topic heading, which reads Hamoicher Shtar Choiv Lechavero, someone who had a debt to collect. We'll call that the bill of debt, and he sells that bill of debt to his friend. The friend then will have the ability to collect that debt. He will have paid less than the face value of the debt to the original lender, and in exchange he gets this ability to collect the full amount. And the original lender, after transferring through a sale to someone else the right to collect, the original lender forgives the loan. It's effective. The loan, the, the borrower does not have to pay back the money. Now, in the meantime, you'll ask, uh, well, but didn't someone pay for that, right? Is he, is he to lose out? So, the halacha we just said was focusing on the lova. The lova's obligation to pay back the loan is removed. What about the, the purchaser? Is he not losing out? So, as we go on in the Gemara, we're going to run into this as a subtopic, which we've noted on the side as a tatnosei. Haim ha-moichel chayev Does the original lender, who now forgave the loan, does he have to compensate the one who purchased from him? So now the Gemara. Gufa, Omar Shmuel. Gufa indicates a quote from that which we had seen before, and here it's brought in a more elaborate uh, fashion, and it's the topic that we are focusing on this time. So Shmuel was uh, said, Someone sold a shtarchov, a bill of collection, to his friend, and then he was moichel it. He he forgave the loan. Mochul, if that forgiveness takes hold. Vafilu yoresh mochel, even an heir has that ability, the heir of the of the lender. Omar Ravhuna Braid Rav Yoshua, the Pikeahu, if the one who purchased the bill of collection is Pikeh is smart. He's on the on the ball. He's aware of what could happen to him. Mekarkish Le Zuzi, literally he'll jingle some money at in offering money to the borrower. The Kosav lay Shtora Bishme. And the borrower, now this is of course before the uh, loan was forgiven, I would say obviously. Before the loan was forgiven, so you have a borrower that knows he's, he owes money. So what the purchaser is going to say, you know, you owe money to uh, Mr. A, so instead of that, have, uh, I'm, I'm, I bought the rights to collect, so write a star to me, write a new bill of debt, and here I'm even paying you for that. So that it's no loss to you, you still have, you have to pay the loan anyway. So write the star in my name, it's, it's presenting it or creating a, a, an image that I am the one that loaned you the money. Therefore, if in the event the, uh, the original lender forgives the loan, that has nothing to do now with the lokech, the lokech still can collect. Let us glance at the uh, Rashi. 
um, in the uh, see the upper part of the narrow lines, the fourth narrow line, Mekakish Lezuzi, La Loive, Bohen, he hires him, the, the purchaser of the bill of collection, the bill of debt, hires the Love, Lichtov Bishmo, to write a uh, a let, um, a contract or a, a document indicating a loan has been taken. Uh, with the lokeach as the lender, with the purchaser as the lender, before the borrower and the original lender come out, come up with some kind of scheme between them. The Gemara continues. Omar Amemar. Now here we're going to focus on the situation where the where that wasn't done, but a. Uh, rather, like we said originally, the original lender forgives the loan after he sold it to the lokeach. Hamemar says, "Man de doyin dina de garmi." This expression "doyin" is to judge dina de garmi cases of causative damage. There is in tort law a concept of direct damage where. Uh, let's say uh, uh, Mr. A uh, punches Mr. B in the face. That's an example of, of direct damage. And then you can have situations where you didn't do something in a direct fashion, but as a result of what you did, someone lost. Rashi says, Man dino es Uh Those uh, that school of thinking, and what because what we're saying is really a point of controversy. But that school of thinking, it happens to be Rebbe Mayer, that even when you're in a, a causative situation, and within the realm of causative damage, there are there's an additional category called grama. We're not going to get into those uh, differences. The Rishonim elaborate on that in Maseches Bovakama. For our purposes, though, we're using this distinction between direct damage and causative. Here, the uh, the, the seller of the bill of debt uh, didn't directly uh, through. He didn't, for example, he didn't uh, tear up money uh, belonging to the purchaser. He did an he did an act called an indirect type act. He he forgave the loan to the borrower, and as a result of that, the the purchaser, the purchaser of the bill of collection will now no longer be able to collect. So, do we hold someone responsible, financially responsible, to to make reparations for that kind of causative loss? So the one Rabbi Mayer who says yes, in this case, then Magvi Bay Deme Shtora Maalya. The Rashi says Magvi Bay Bahai Shtora Min Hamochalo. Using this document, this bill of collection that was purchased, he enables the purchaser to collect full the full amount of the star, uh, the entire debt. Uh, that's written in the star from the original lender. The Gemara continues, Man Dino Degarmi, that school of thought that says, no, oh, no, only direct uh, damage uh, is punishable by payment, but indirect 
damage, garmi, is not penalized by uh, by uh, having to pay. Magvi bay deme naira bialma. Literally, it means that uh, as well. Actually, Rashi says don't look at the literal translation, but across from Rashi's magvi bay deme naira bialma. Kloma omer shaloi mochar lo elahaniyor varehu biadoch. The seller, the original lender, can say to the lokeach. I sold you a piece of paper, and there you've still got the piece of paper in your hands. The piece of paper was we'll called representative value. It was a, a an instrument through which to collect actual money, but it itself is, as we said, it's only representative value, and therefore I don't owe you anything. The Gemara continues, Have Uvda, there was a case of a Moichel Starchoiv Lechavero that came to Rav Ashi's attention. So Rav Ashi had to, let's say, judge the case. And the Rafram, the Kafye Rafram Liravashi, that means that, literally means, Kafye is to force, Rafram forced Ravashi, but it doesn't, we don't take it to mean that, but rather, Rafram brought proofs that full compensation must be made. The Agvi Bay Kikshura Litsalmi. And as a result of that, the purchaser was enabled to receive full compensation of the uh, of the loan that had been forgiven, the loan that he had purchased. This expression uh Agvi Bay means to enable someone to collect something. Kikshura Litsalmi. This is a an analogy here, like a a beam that's used for carving images on. When when you want to uh, carve on a piece of wood, images it has to be a high quality, straight and smooth piece of wood. So, the the what the the point the analogy is is that he w- he deserved full compensation without any loss whatsoever, and. Uh, whatever, uh, just like we pay attention, all attention to the details of that beam, we pay all attention to the details of this compensation. It often happens when uh, when someone is uh, giving a shir, once delivering a Torah lecture, especially from a text like our Gemara marking shir, and in the course of the shir, a, an idea arises that uh, that's worthy of attention. And uh, this just happened now. I noticed that the Rashi uh, earlier, Demei Shtar Ma'ali, in the upper part of the narrow lines, when we were dealing with providing uh, reparations or compensation for the for the uh, purchaser, Rashi said there that. We enable him to collect kol hachoyim shebesoicha. That would, would would translate as the entire debt that's written into the shtar. If it was a a debt for a hundred dollars to be collected, so now the lokech will get the hundred dollars from the original lender who who uh, had uh, had uh, forgiven the loan to, uh, to the borrower. So there, Rashi said the kol hachoyim shebesoicha. We pointed out. Uh, if we didn't say it today, then certainly in our last discussion when we were dealing this with this, when someone buys a bill of collection and the face value, let's say, is a hundred dollars, there's um, there isn't too much logic in saying that the purchaser would pay the full hundred dollars. 
after all, uh, he's now going to have to. What? What? Why would he pay a hundred dollars to someone just to get back one hundred dollars? It, it would make sense that a person would pay less than the face value. So let's say he pay eighty dollars to, which would then enable him to collect the debt of a hundred dollars. He has a twenty dollar profit. That sounds like a good deal. The Rashi here on Kitshur Litzalmi says, that the purchaser is entitled to collect the entire loss that he suffered. That would imply not the entire loan that was written into the original document, but the entire amount that he paid to the original lender for the right to collect the star. So I'm just leaving that with you, uh, with you listeners, to uh, come up with maybe a uh, resolution if our question is a question to begin with. But nevertheless, notice the difference in language between Rashi above, where he says, Kol the entire debt that's written into the document, and here, under the same circumstances, Rashi says, Kol the entire loss to the individual. Let's now go back to the Gemara. Omar Ameimar Mishmei Durav Chamo Haiman Diiko Olei Ksubas Isho Ubalchov. A person who has two kinds of debts. He has a debt to pay a Ksuba, and uh, and he has a debt to pay someone who lent him money. The Islay Arav Islay Zuzi, and the individual has a piece of land, and he has cash. That's the background. Let us take a look at the side. We have a Nosei topic heading. Mishit Sorech Lishalim Ksubas Isha and Lebal Chov. He has to pay a wife that he divorced and he has to pay a Bal Chov, someone from whom he borrowed money. V'yesh lo Ksof and he has cash and land. Mi Mekabel Esma. First issue, who gets what? Let's assume for argument's sake that these are worth the exact amounts that he owes to each one respectively. So who gets what? Uh, let's say he has a $200 debt to the woman and he has a $200 loan that he has to pay back. He has a piece of land worth $200 and he has $200 in cash. Who gets what? And Mahadin what would be a case, the case if he has enough to compensate only one of them? Who gets the compensation. So now we continue in the Gemara. The Islay, Arav Islay Zuzi. He has land and he has cash. Le Balchov misalkinon le bezuzi. The Balchov, he pays off. Literally, misalkinon means he removes him. It means he removes the debt by paying him cash. Le Isha misalkinon lo ba'ara. And as far as the woman is concerned, he pays, he, he Transfers ownership of the land to her. Hai kidine vahai kidine. Each one uh, in accordance with what they deserve. Meaning, the lender lent him cash, so he gets paid back cash. The woman, when she got married, she was reliant upon the husband's land, real estate. She wasn't relying on portables that he may have had for her ultimate compensation, but rather relying on land. So she was relying on land, she gets back, she gets the land. 
The Gemara continues, Let us say, he has just one parcel of land, and it's enough to compensate only one of those two debts. If the, the lender is to be compensated, and we, don't, we won't give it to the woman. Why is it so important? What's the urgency of compensating the lender? So that people will continue to be motivated to loan out money. If people see that I loan money and someone else gets paid back, someone other than, than the, the lender, they'll say it's too risky a business to lend out money, and there's a concept, Shalotino Delis Bifnei Lovin. We don't want the door of loans to be locked in front of people that want to borrow. So it's, it's to the, to the uh, world of commerce and the world of needy people that the lenders get paid back so that they'll always make their funds available to others. The woman, we don't, the, the level, that level of urgency is not there. My time off. Why not? Uh, isn't there a, isn't there a consideration that that if the woman uh, doesn't get uh, compensation, she'll uh, she, that will um, deter her from wanting to get married? So we say, don't worry so much about that. More than a man wants to marry a woman, say a woman wants to be married. Omar lei rav popo le rav in learning Gemara, when you see the expression Omar Lay, it at times can mean a question. So that Rapopo here is posing a question, a question of clarification to Rav Chama. That's why you see a long question marking. What he wants to know is, 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 the, is, that, is the following something that you really said? Vadai de Amrisu Mishmei de Rava, did you say in the name of Rava, the following, Haiman Demaski Bezuzi, this lay ara, a man from whom money was being collected. In other words, someone who owed money. And he has a piece of land. And the, uh, the lender comes to claim his debt. The Omar lay, and the borrower says, Zil Shkoil Me'ara, go collect your debt from the land. Amrinon lay, we tell the borrower, Zil Zovin at the icy have lay. You go sell the land. In other words, the trouble for the trouble involved in selling a piece of land is upon you. You sell the land and bring cash to the one that loaned you the money. So did you say that? Asks Rav Papa to Rav Chama. Did you say that in the name of Rava? Omarle, lo. No, I didn't say that. Well then, Amoli gufaduvda heishi having. So then, tell me what what happened? What what created? What gave uh, gave me the impression that you said that? Before we go on, then what would appear is the law that if uh, someone owes money and he doesn't have any cash, the the borrower can say to the to the lender here, take this piece of land and accept that as compensation. So then, why do, why was it said in the name of Rava? Why was it ever said in the name of Rava that we uh, impose the the trouble of selling the land on the borrower? So Rav Chama answers, you want to know what happened. Why, why that had been said? 
there was a fellow that owed money, and the the creditor came to collect his debt, and the and he, once again the the borrower had cash, and the creditor came to collect his debt, and the uh, the, uh, the the borrower said. Uh, Said, uh, oh, that th- that cash, that's not my money. That belongs to uh, some idol worshiper. It's not mine. That's called Tulem Oisov. He uh, he ascribed his money, the money that he had, is belo- to someone else. Is belonging to someone else. So let's read that phrase again. Omar Leis, Rav Chama said, Tulem Oisov Beivikachavim Have. He was that. Have means he was that. He was someone who said that his money belonged to the Goy. Who also Shalokahogan? He did something wrong. It wasn't didn't belong to the Goy. It was his own cash. He just wanted to to uh, fend off the uh, the Balchov from collecting the cash. So he did something Shaloko something wrong. Lafikoch Osubo Shalokahogan. Therefore, we said, "Oh, you don't that. Oh, that's not your cash. So, to the land that you have, you go sell the land and give the Balchov the cash." But uh, as we as we indicated before, if if there was no uh, foul play, then it would have been sufficient for the borrower simply to transfer uh, ownership of the land to the Balchov to the lender. Omale Rav Kahano Rav Popo Lididcho the Amris, according to you that says Prias Balchov Mitzvah, that there is a fulfillment of a positive command in paying debts. Omar, imagine a guy says, and this isn't too hard to imagine, unfortunately, Lo Nicholi David Mitzvah. Says, uh, I don't I don't I don't want to do the mitzvah. In other words, I don't want to pay back the debt. But he, the focus here is on the mitzvah element. He says, I don't want to do the mitzvah of paying back the debt. Mine. How do we deal with a person like that? So Rav Papa answers Omarle, Tanina, as far as your question is concerned, we have a Tanaic source that uh, answers it. The Tanaic source deals with sinners, people who do not fulfill mitzvahs, and in oftentimes you find references throughout the Shas of a person violating a mitzvah gets malchus. That's because, as a rule of thumb, negative commands in the Torah that are violated are punishable by lashing. Uh, for example, the Torah prohibits the consumption of unkosher uh, meat. So someone uh, deliberately, after receiving a warning not to do so, goes ahead and eats a ham sandwich. So that is culpable of receiving lashes. It's where they're referred to as 40 lashes. Technically speaking, it's 39 lashes, but it's referred to as Malchus Arboim. So the source says, When is it said that the 40 lashes are administered? And 40 means that's the, the, the 39 lashes is the top number that you could give for, a, for one offense. When is that the case? When it comes to the violation of a negative command where the Torah says not to do something and you were warned not to do it and you go ahead and deliberately do it within seconds of hearing the warning. When it comes to positive mitzvahs, positive commands, 
where they're stated in the proactive fashion. Kigon, Shomrim Lo, say Sukkah, make a Sukkah, Vienu Osin, he doesn't make the Sukkah. And I would say that when we say say Sukkah, it doesn't literally mean the, the building of the Sukkah per se, but it means say Sukkah, make the Sukkah and, and dwell in it. The mitzvah of Sukkah is to dwell in the Sukkah. And he he doesn't do that lulav vieno osis. He's told to to perform take the mitzvah, take the lulav on sukkis, and he doesn't do it. What do we do with recalcitrant, recalcitrant individuals? Makin oisoi atsheteitze nafsho. We beat him up till the point of his soul's departure. In other words, the the idea of a limited number of of lashings does not apply. So, here, if, if someone has a mitzvah to pay back the loan, he doesn't want to, so now you know how to deal with him. We're, we're continuing at the uh, top of Omid base. We just read the first uh, sentence there. In the middle of the line, Bo mine Romi bar chamo me Romi asks a question of Rav Chista. Then, before we read the question, let's glance at the side under the note, say, a topic heading. Chefetz hamunuch b'tzidei rishus harabim. Ha'im nechshav konui lebailim. When we want to, let's say, transact something, and the item uh, that, that needs to be transacted is not lying in a public thoroughfare, but off to the side of the public thoroughfare. Tzidei Rishus Ram, Tzidei from word Tzad, the, the next two or on the side of. So again, it's Rashi here describes, you find variances in Rashi's explanation throughout the Shas, but it's essentially the same idea. Rashi here says, Tzidei Rishus Rabbim, the first narrow line, Somuch Solem Shein Derech Bnei Odom Lavor Shom Lishachich B'Koslem. Right next to the walls of buildings that line a public thoroughfare, people don't walk right up to buildings and thereby uh, 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 scraping themselves on the on the walls. So we can't deem it as a public thoroughfare, but it's right next to it's adjacent to the public thoroughfare. So is an item that's lying there capable of being of its ownership being transferred? We're working with the assumption that items that lie in a public thoroughfare, mamish, literally in a public thoroughfare, cannot be transacted. So now we saw that uh, Romi Barhama presents a question to Rav Chista. What's the question? Second line from the top of Omid Beis. Hareza gitech tizgarshi bo Man is divorcing his wife. He gives a divorce document to her, and he says uh, you, that this will this is to go into effect thirty days from now. She goes on her merry way and places it in that location called Sidei Rishusarabim, and it's there. It remains there till thirty days. It's there till after thirty days. Is she divorced? In other words, is the is that divorce document considered in her domain? You can see we have a diamond now. They On the side, it represents Shnei Lishonas. You'll see two versions of this particular uh, uh, discussion. So, Omar Lay, Rav Chisto says, Eino Megureshes Midarav Ushmuel. She is not considered divorced based on the teaching of Rav and Shmuel. In other words, it's the, the divorce document, in order for it to be effective, it has to be considered in her domain. 
This is outside of her domain. The Rav Shmuel they both say, uh, in, a, in a different context, but they both say, V'hu shetzvurim umunochim b'rishus harabim. V'tzidei rishus harabim k'rishus harabim domo. The Mishnah that we have learned, our Mishnah, spoke about uh, items that were piled up, and it taught in our Mishnah that first come, first serve. As Rashi says on the second line from the top, Gabi Masnisin de Kotoni Hakidim Zocha. Almo Rishusarabim Lokoni Le Labailim Midi. Something that's in a public thoroughfare does not enable the owner to get them. Elohim Kane Magbio, unless he picks them up. Therefore, after 30 days, this get was in the Tzidei Rishus Arabim, which the Gemara just said is like the Rishus Arabim, and therefore the divorce does not take hold, because the divorce document needs to be in her domain at the point of the divorce. So, making after making this let's say, assumption, as Rav and Shmuel seem to say, that, as, which as, as the Gemara says in their name, will say that the Tzidei Rishus Arabim are considered like the Rishus Arabim. The Gemara challenges this, though, with a long question. Adarabah, Megureshes, Rav Nachman. I would say that she is divorced based on Rav Nachman's teaching. The Omer Rav Nachman, Omer Rabba Baravua, Someone who tells his friend, Draw this cow, which I'm selling to you, draw it unto yourself, but the actual transfer will take place 30 days from now. So you'll do the, the act of acquisition without the legal, the legal transfer taking place until 30 days. Kona, the deal works. Even if the cow is standing out in an agam. An agam is a, a marsh, an open field. My love, hainu agam, vahainu tzidei rishusarabim. Should we not assume that on a legal basis, an agam and the tzidei rishusarabim are one in the same? So we see that transfer of a possession uh, uh, does take place when the item in question is in the Tzidei Rabim. And in our case, the item in question is the divorce document. It's considered, just like there in the transfer of the cow, the Agam is considered the domain of the purchaser. So to the divorce document in the Tzidei Rabim would be considered in the domain of the woman being divorced. Lo, the Gemara says that equation is not necessarily so. Agam luchud luchud. The agam, a marsh, is a was a more private type area. There's there's no one even nearby, so that can be considered the purchaser's domain. not 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 so. That's we'll say more public, and therefore it's not sufficiently. Uh, private, privately oriented to be considered the woman's domain. Ika di Amri, 
Now, let's not forget, the question, this is a second version of the original issue, the question had been presented about concerning the get lying after the 30 days in the day Rosh Hashanah. So, according to this version, Rav Chista is answering the opposite of what we saw before. Rav Chista is answering, she is divorced, based on Rav Nachman's case involving the the cow and its transfer, uh, the delayed transfer while the cow is standing in the agam. The tzidei rishus harabim ke agam domi. And the sides off the public thoroughfare are like the agam. And just like in the case of the agam, the cow standing out in the in the marsh, the transfer is effective. So too, the get lying in the tzidei rishus harabim will be an effective divorce document. Adarava, to the contrary, I would argue that she's not divorced based on Rav and Shmuel. My love, Rav and Shmuel spoke about the uh, lack of, of, of possession when in a public thoroughfare, and we will assume that the public thoroughfare and the Tzide Rishus Rabbim are one and the same, and therefore it wouldn't be considered a place of acquisition. Lo. That assumption we're not going to accept. The public drag, the public thoroughfare, that is what Rav and Shmuel spoke about. And only there, there is no transferal of items. It's not considered a personal domain. But is something different. And there, things can be acquired. So as you can see, the, the two versions basically use all the, the same terminology, but what is compared to what, and what the, the, the final ruling in each one is, you can see that that is different. And now we come upon a new Mishnah, and the, the new Mishnah, the theme of this, uh, of this uh, Sukya, uh, which is which starts with this Mishnah, and you'll see in the next Mishnah as well, the, uh, the the theme continues. It has to do with the realm of oaths, uh, oaths that a husband uh, can can impose upon his wife, you know, make her swear uh, regarding different elements. That's a is a, a very uh, we'll say general topic heading. A man uh, tells his wife to, uh, and it is uh, maybe a, an arcane expression now, but to, uh, to man the store. Uh, of course, you would say that that's uh, inherently contradictory here. Uh, she's a woman to, will say, to woman the store. It means that the husband has items and he wants her to take care of the sales of those items by, uh, by being in charge of the sales while uh, in a store. So he appoints her to be the, the chenvoni. Or mino apotropa, that means he appoints her to be the uh, executor of uh, the house funds to uh, make purchases, uh, sell things, hire workers to deal with uh, all financial aspects of running the house. So he appoints her as the apotropa. The husband can impose an oath on his wife whenever he wants that she uh, is not pocketing any of the monies.
Rabbi Lezer Omer Afilu Al Pilcha Val Isasa. Here we're just going to translate. There, uh, is, things have to be clarified. But nevertheless, he says even on her pilcha has to do with her spinning of the wool and isasa and uh, regarding the dough. So what Rebbe Lezer seems to be saying is that uh, a, a man can impose on his wife a shvua concerning uh, any financial concerns of his, regardless of his, whether she was officially appointed to be the chenvonis or to be the apotropis. Let us point out that from this point, from this Mishnah, till Pechesomid Beis, we're going to be dealing with the general topic of oaths, of, of imposing Shavuos. And ultimately, it's within the realm of financial matters, payments uh, that need to be made, how much was paid, how much was not paid, and oaths that go along with that. Uh, as far as our immediate topic, we're going to be dealing with, uh, as, you can, as we saw in the Mishnah, oaths that a husband can impose on his wife. As we continue in the Gemara, we'll notice some uh, triangles. And on the side, under our Nosei Mivne heading, the triangles represent Nisyoinois attempts Lifshoit HaSheela uh, to resolve the question. What question? The oaths that a uh, husband can impose on his wife uh, regarding uh, the uh, wool spinning and regarding the the, the dough uh, household so household expenditures expenditures are these shvuas that are imposed which means imposed initially in other words the husband uh, for whatever reason, he feels that his that he can't account for for uh, for monies, and he turns to his wife uh, out of the blue and says, "You know, uh, would you uh, swear to me that uh, you haven't uh, put aside or pocketed any of our uh, our household um, uh, expenditures or funds?" Or Gilgal Shvua, That's a situation where the woman had been obligated to take an oath for some other reason. The Tanakama, for example, he told us about the woman who was appointed an apotropis, uh, so she has to swear that as, as, a, as a formal apotropis, the executor over, over the, uh, all, of, all of the household funds, she can be made to swear. And once she swears about that, uh, by the way, uh, I want you to swear also regarding uh, the daily expenses, the Pilchan Isa, that you should swear that you didn't pocket any of that either. In other words, Gilgul means literally to roll along. That once there's another formal shvur that she has to take, we can attach this uh, along with that. But as a, as a type of oath, to impose upon her initially that she didn't keep uh, for herself any of the uh, the wool and the and the dough uh, that he can't do uh, uh, out of the blue. So that's the issue we have to deal with. Ibayalaho, Rabbi Eliezer, who appeared in the Mishnah regarding the the oath of Pilchan Isasa, 
And here, we, though we explained it uh, orally, let's see it in the words of Rashi. Rashi at the beginning of the Gemara commentary in the upper part of the narrow lines. He had heard, Reb Lezer had heard the Tanakama, the Omar that said, Reb Lezer was a reaction to the Tanakama, so it could be that he heard the Tanakama saying that you can impose a Shvua over Apotropsis, but not on Pilcha and Esau at all, even through Gilgal Shvua. The cave of the Shuas Apotropsis is Rabbonan, since the, the oath that's imposed on her as an Apotropsis is a rabbinic based oath. It's not a Torah, it's not a Torah uh, level oath. There are differences and they are uh, there is a, an entire tractate Masechet Shuas that deals with these topics. So we'll see the important points regarding the uh, the distinction between the rights of the one as we go along in the Gemara and the Rashi. So Shuas Apetrosis is the Rabbana, the Halo Kotan Le Tovea Tainas Bori. When the husband is imposing the Shua claim, making a claim, he's not making a claim. I know that you pocketed the these monies, and if you're denying thusly, then then swear to that effect. That's a tainas bori, a a, a, taina, a claim made with made with certainty. That's not the case here. So once that's not the case, you're dealing with a, a shua that does not have a doraisa status. Elo, rather, what is he saying here? Ritsoni shetishovali. I I want you to swear to me. That's all. I want you to swear because I, you know, I, I have my doubts. I'm not sure, so I want you to swear to uh, to um, quiet my feelings. Lo megalgalinon al yodo shvuachriti. When your basic shvua, like the shvuas apotropsis, is derabonan, it doesn't have the 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 strength to have another shvua attached to it. The Shua of Pilcha and Isa. The Osa, Rabbi Lezer Lemeimar, Hecha de Hoshiva Chenvonis, when a husband appoints his wife as a Chenvonis or an Apotropsis, Migu de Mishtaba Apotropsis, since she's taking the Shua of Apotropsis anyway, Mishtaba Nami al Yedei Gilgal al Pilcha Visasa de Megalgalin Bidarabonan. So here you see the point of machloikis, according to this approach between the first opinion and the Mishnah Rebelezer is, does a Shvua de Rabbonon enable Gilgal Shvua to take place, to be extended from it? That's one side of the analysis. Rashi continues, O lechatchilo komar, da'afilu lo mino apetrepa, mashbio al pilcha sharei apetropsis hi. Even without a formal appointment as an apotropus, a husband, according to Rebelezer, can impose a shvua on his wife because she's effectively an apotropus. An apotropus. She's effectively, because of her, her role as the housemaker, she's constantly uh, purchasing and maybe selling items for the daily maintenance of the house. 
and hence Rebbe Lezer is saying that the Shavuah of Pilcha is not something that arises only in a Gilgal Shavuah situation, but even as a self-contained and isolated oath. So now let's try to resolve that. We continue in the Gemara Toshma. Omru lo l'Rebbe Eliezer. The Chachomim, upon hearing Rebbe Lezer's idea of making her swear regarding Pilcha v'Isa, uh, they said to him, Ein Adam dor im nochash b'kfifa. Literally translated, uh, a person cannot be expected to live in the same basket along with a venomous snake. A, a woman, uh, according to Rebbe Eliezer, is, uh, is, is subject to having to swear, and, and uh, we've mentioned this in the past, I'm sure everyone understands this intuitively, that swearing is a very unpleasant uh, thing to do. And to have a, an oath imposed on you uh, is, is a, a say, something that could be a, uh, a, a harrowing experience. So, their reaction to Rebbe Lezer is, how can you expect a woman to continue living like that if you can make her swear on Pilcha v'Isa? If you say that Rebbe Lezer's his own opinion was that husband can out of the blue impose initially a shvua of Pilcha v'Isa without uh, the Gilgal institution. Then Shabbat, then I understand why they reacted, why the Chomer reacted so uh, so emotionally, so harshly to Rebbe Lezer's point of view. To have the, that the woman is always under the, uh, the the threat of having us an oath imposed on her. Eloi, Gilgal. But if you say that the Pilcha v'Isa oath is only through Gilgal, my nafka lomina, why then should it be such a Problem? Why should it be of any concern to the woman? Uh, after all, she's she's chayeves anyway. There's there's a unanimous agreement that when a when a woman receives a formal appointment as an apotropsis, that she is thereby subjecting herself to a shvur. So uh, why should it matter if uh, he can make her swear about pilchavisa as well as as an attachment to the to the apotropsis shvur? The answer is. Even then, the woman can claim, I can't live with a man like this. The Omrole, she says to him, Since you're so picayune uh, with regard to my, uh, my daily behavior, uh, Rashi uh, adds to here, adds, adds to this, You don't love me and it seems that this lack of love is manifest from the la- through the lack of trust I think that there are some very profound ideas in this Rashi uh, so that, that, that the idea of trust and, and, uh, and love uh, with, from the woman's perspective are one in the same and since you don't trust me and that you're questioning even such minor minuscule activities as my preparing uh, dough and spinning the wool well I can't I can't I can't live with you it's like living with a sneak so from this uh, discussion you don't see uh, you don't see conclusively if the Pilcha Esau oath of Reb Lezer is something that is can be imposed 
in isolation or only as a result of Gilgal Shvua. Uh, I think it's self-evident that the Shvua of Apatrepsis or Chenvanis, that does not create the, the feeling of enmity uh, uh, being that uh, it's, it's, um, it's only as a result of a formal appointment that, um, that the woman is subjected to that. And I think we can assume that the uh, being put into the position of a chenvonis or an apotropsis is not something that's imposed by force. It's something she would have agreed to. And once you agree to that, you understand you're subjecting yourself to uh, financial scrutiny. But uh, but when when you when the when this uh, scrutiny uh, reaches this re- this extremely fine resolution of uh, pilchanisa, even if it's through Gilgal, that's already too much. Ta shma hare shelo potar es ishto minaneder minashvua. A man, let us say, he did not uh, uh, write. The, 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 which we'll see in the next Mishnah, he didn't write over to her a, um, ex- an exemption from uh, vows and oaths. So a man who did not exempt her from Nedorim and Shavuos, that's how, read that again, Harei Shalom Potar Esishto Mina Nedor Mina Shavuwa, and he appointed her as a storekeeper as his storekeeper or as the uh, executor of his properties he can impose the shvuas that we've referred to whenever he wants if he didn't formally appoint her as a chenvonis or as an apotropsis then he has no grounds on which to impose an oath on her. Rebbe Lezer Omer, even if he did, had not appointed her as uh, one of those, he can nevertheless, as, his, as her husband, impose on her the need to swear whenever he wants. There isn't a there isn't a moment in a married life that the woman isn't a type of apotropsis, the executor of funds, uh, de facto over his, over the the, the daily exp- daily affairs like the spinning of wool and the preparation of baked goods, which involves as we said before it involves the the uh, the sale and purchase of items. Of, of, on a daily basis, Omru Lo. They said to Rebbe Lezer, "If that's what a husband can impose on a wife, namely a shvu in isolation of pilcha v'isa, whenever he wants, they said to him, 'Ain Adam Dorim Nochesh B'Kfifa. How can how can a person live with a snake in the same basket? How can you expect a woman to live like that?' Shmami. Also from this." Presentation of Rebbe Eliezer, you can see lechatchila shmamina that it's a it's an oath that can be imposed even um, even detached from the shvu of chenvanis and apotrosis. After all, he's saying here even if she wasn't appointed formally, is that he can never the husband can nevertheless impose a shvu regarding pilcha ve'isa. And now we have the Mishnah that we just alluded to, and on the side we have a topic heading hapoter ishto mishvua. 
one who exempts his wife from uh, vows. And it's all within this context. Now, there's um, uh, quite a bit of marking you see in the Mishnah. You see uh, underlining and numberings. The underlinings highlight the the text that will be presented. The, that the husband uh, writes to his wife concerning exemptions. And we want to know how far does each one of these, how far do these exemptions as expressed in each different form, how far do they go? What do they include and who is included? So the Mishnah. Kosav law. Man writes to his wife. Neder ushvua ein li olayich. Imposition of vows and oaths. I, I do not have upon you. I relinquish that. The Gemara itself will ask uh, which kind of shvua when is he exempting her from? Uh, so we'll see that in the Gemara itself. But in the meantime, we're learning about a general idea of shvua exemptions. So if he says this, that this language that we just underlined, ein yochol so his wife he cannot uh, ask to swear, but he can impose an oath on her heirs. In other words, if a man divorced the wife and, and she died, and the, uh, her heirs are coming to claim from the husband the ksuba that he owed their mother or their benefactor, so... Uh, they will, according to what we're seeing here, they will have to swear these, what's called, Rashi makes reference to the Shavuot HaYorshim, meaning that they will have to swear that we were not told at the time of our mother's or our benefactor's death that uh, she had received anything prior to this. And we don't, we didn't find amongst her documents any indication that her Shtar Ksuba, that her uh, Ksuba had been paid. So, though the woman herself is exempted from uh, uh, oaths that he would impose on her, the heirs can be still made to swear, as we just explained. Those are people that may have purchased from her the Ksuba rights. Uh, We discussed earlier people who buy uh, bills of debt. There are people that buy the ksuba from a woman. A woman might be uh, in need of immediate funds. Her ksuba is worth, let's say, $200. They'll pay $150 for the rights to her ksuba. That doesn't guarantee them, but only if she, the, the woman herself, was in the position to collect the ksuba, so they will take over her position. And they would have paid, let's say, a fraction of the ksuba and then be able to collect the full ksuba. Those are the boyim birshusa. And they too, when they come to the husband uh, claiming uh, we bought her ksuba, they will have to swear that the ksuba has not been paid up whatsoever, and hence we're coming to Lex. That's a shvur that's imposed on Boim Birshusa. Another case, another expression. Neder shvur ein li olayach, v'al yorshayach, v'al haboim birshusech. I relinquish the shvuas uh, that could, would have been upon you, upon your heirs, and upon those that are coming 
as a result of you. So what's the what happens? Eino yochol He cannot impose an oath. Lo, he velo yorshel velo esaboim brususa. So he cannot impose an oath on the wife, nor on her heirs, nor on the boim brususa. Avol yorshav. This man's this husband's yorshim. This pus- husband's heirs. If the man himself, that the, the, the husband had died, and he left heirs, and they are being sought out for collection, that you know, they, with the claim, your father owed uh, I, uh, our mother, uh, or if, if she's still alive, owed me, or if she's dead, her Yorshim, or those that may have bought the Ksuba, they can be made to swear if they are dealing with the Yorshim of the heirs of the individual that had issued an exemption. Basically, what are we saying? The exemption is applicable only to the one himself who issued the exemption. But that exemption will have no uh, uh, restriction, impose, it will not impose any restrictions on his heirs. A third case. So you see a much more elaborate expression. What what is covered by this? So Eino Yocholash Bialohu, who cannot impose oaths, not himself, Velo Yorsha, Velohaboim Bushuso. Not himself, not his heirs, nor those that are coming through him. Lo osa velo yorsheha velo haboim birshusa, and all of those people are exempted from the shvua. The woman herself, her heirs, and those that are boim birshusa. We didn't explain a technical point that when the husband exempts from a shvua, uh, that I won't be able to, nor my Yorshim, nor the Boim Bushusi. That's a case where a man had sold his properties to purchasers, and they, the purchasers, are being sought out uh, for as a source of collection by uh, by the woman who had Exuba that predated uh, the sale of those properties. So this exemption is saying then that uh, they will not be able to impose. Uh, the uh, f- uh, the previous mentioned shvua on the woman or her heirs. We continue in the Mishnah. Holcha mikever by law o A woman that had received a shvua exemption. She uh, in in a situation where the husband died, so she walks if she, when she, when she walks from the burial to her own father's house and she goes back home uh, to where she once lived or she goes to the base home her father-in-law's house that means to where her husband where she lived with her husband Philonas is apotropa and she is not made into an apotropis the, the heirs have no uh, right to impose a shvua on her if she is appointed as an apotropis, 
Again, we're dealing with a woman that had previously received an exemption. Now, the husband is dead, and she is appointed at this point, a, uh, she's appointed, uh, let's say, initially, for the first time, as an apotropsis. So, v'inasis apotropsa, ha'yoshin mashbin osal osid lavo, v'ein mashbin osal amasha ovar. Rashi says, on any dealings that she uh, has after the husband's death, that she hasn't withheld anything. At this point in time, the property belongs to the heirs. And the exemption that the the deceased husband had issued was an exemption only concerning properties that were his. Once the properties, once he dies, this, it's like the, the clock starts all over again. So the exemption that he had issued is now, is now has expired. So she can be made to swear regarding any uh, transactions she conducts from this point onwards, but not means those things, those transactions that she may have overseen when the husband was alive, she cannot be made to swear. She has that exemption uh, still is effective regarding that. Before we continue in the Gemara, we note on the side the Nosei Mivne heading. Roman numerals appear, one and two. They represent Shnei Lishoinois Berav Yehuda Marav. Two versions regarding Rav Yehuda Marav, who will appear in the Gemara, what is Rav Yehuda's comment going on? And we'll also be interested in knowing from what vow is he exempting her? From what oath is he exempting her? The Gemara. Shvua mai avidita. Let's look at Rashi immediately. Shvua mai avidita. Eze shvua stam. Which uh, general shvua? Stam means something that's not identified. A general concept of shvua. Which shvua? Sheisha chayeves lebayla oli yorshav. That uh, ordinarily a woman would be obligated to swear to her husband or to his heirs. The katani, the chilo patra mashbia, the chipatra ein mashbia. That which kind of shuah is the subject of our mission that says that if she receives a formal exemption, so he doesn't impose the oath on her, and when she is not exempted, she needs to swear. What are we? What what shuah are we talking about? Omer Rav Yehuda Marav. We continue at the top of Pei Zion Omer Aleph. Al apetropio shenasis b'chaye baila, regarding apetropsis activity that she does in the during the lifetime of her husband. This, of course, is familiar to us from the previous Mishnah. Now we must add that, uh, according to Yehuda. According to this version, we're in Roman numeral number one, and that needs to be emphasized. Later, you can see there's a Roman numeral number two, 
But at this point, what reviewed is saying that the exemption covers apotropsis activity, but it does not exempt the case of what's called pogemes tsubosa. It's an important expression that we'll be seeing regularly. Now, let's look at Rashi at the top. Al apotropia, potro bixivazos, mishuas apotropsis. Im If he points her, the wife, as the storekeeper, as uh, the one in charge of, of, of um, formal sales and purchases in the context of a, of a of a store, that exemption covers the apotropsis type activity. Aval im if you're dealing with a pogemisk subasa, which we didn't explain what that was, then that kind of woman cannot collect the balance of her ksuba unless she takes an oath. That kind, that situation of her needing to take an oath in a pogemisk ksuba situation, lo niftera de tenaizet. That she's not exempted with this exemption. The law. When he does exempt her, Mishwa de Koromi Hu Allah. The exemption regards those kinds of Shvuas that otherwise the husband places on her, that the husband initiates. But a Shvua that she brought on herself, this exemption doesn't cover that. So now, just a word about Pogemisk Subasa. A, a, a woman. Uh, comes to, uh, with a claim to her husband, I want you to pay me the ksuba. Husband says back to her, what do you mean? I paid you the entire ksuba. And she says to him, you, 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 you paid me, but just a fraction of it. My, my ksuba is $200, and yes, you paid me $50. I still want $150 of payment. That is called pogemes ksubasa. Now, in that case... Her claim isn't based on the on the on the on the mere let's say document that she, that she's holding because when she comes with a suba claim based on the document the document says two hundred dollars in it she's putting a claim in of one hundred fifty dollars so because of that she will need to swear to uh, verify uh, her claim. Her, we'll call partial ksuba amount. So, according to Rav Yehuda, once again, we emphasize, according to our current version of the Gemara, the exemption covers apotropsis, but it does not cover the case of pogemis ksubasa. Rav Nachman, we continue in the Gemara, Rav Nachman on Rabba Baravua, al hapogemis ksubasa. The exemption covers even pogemes ksubasa, and certainly the shuas apotropsis. The idea being that this exemption is far-reaching. Not only does it cover shuas that he would uh, impose on her, but even shuas that she brings on herself, she is exempted. Ozal now, so according to this version, you see, it would, then it would be a, uh, it'd be. It's quite apparent that there's a machlokis between Rav Yehuda and Rav Nachman. According to Rav Yehuda, no, the, the exemption does not cover Pogemes Ksubasa, and according to Rav Nachman, the exemption 
covers even Pogemus Ksubasa. According to the, the second version of the Gemara, Roman numeral number two, Rabbi Huda will not be presented as one who is arguing with Rav Nachman. Of course, we'll have to wait to see what that is a reference to. We continue now in the Gemara. Ozal Rav Mordechai Omra L'Shmaitza Kamei Deravashi. Rav Mordechai went and he said the following. The Shmaitza is the upcoming um, uh, attack, the upcoming question that is raised. So Rav Mordechai presents the upcoming uh, uh, question uh, in the two, uh, presents it to Ravashi. What's the question? And notice we have a long question marking. Bishlema Lamanda Omar, uh, I understand according to no, number two, maybe Rav Nachman, Allah Poygemes Ksubasa, that there, there, there's a, an exemption that covers even Poygemes Ksubasa, Damasco Adaita, it, it can occur to a woman, Dilma Matsuchi Li Zuzi Vishakilna Miksubasai. I might be in a position where I, I need money. Uh, people uh, understand that in the course of uh, in the course of life, people can be hard pressed for funds, and she'll she'll uh, take money on her ksuba account. The omra lay, and she'll say to her husband that uh, upon receiving uh, part of the ksuba money, we'll call an advance. She says to her husband, "Ksovli delo mishabisli." I want you. To, to, to write an, a, a shvua exemption. Namely, in general, Pogemis Ksubasa needs to take an oath. And what did we say Pogemis Ksubasa situation is? But this was a situation where the woman acknowledges she received partial payment. Why, why would she have received partial payment? Because of circumstances like this. These are things that will occur to people. So in the, and in the course of, of requesting that advanced payment, she also says, and, and by the way, would you kindly exempt me from having to swear later on when I want to collect the balance, when I or when I might be in the position to collect the balance? Omar, but according to Rav Yehuda, al bylaw that it's an exemption for apotropsis activity. When you look at things from the woman's standpoint. Did she, does she know ahead of time, before being appointed as an apotropist, that she's going to be appointed as an apotropist? Are these things that have occurred to people? Ihi, ihi, the woman, the wife, me havis yada the moisiv law apotropa. Did she know ahead of time that one day he would appoint her to be the executor of of all of his uh, properties? The omrole that would motivate her to say Ksovli Delomeshvasli, write for me an exemption concerning the apotropsis activity. It's a it's it's a, it's an unreasonable um, expectation. So that the it seems to be very impractical to have a situation of a of an exemption covering a situation that's that's unanticipated. So Rav Ashi, upon hearing this, he says to Rav Mordechai, Atun, Aho Masnisu you take Rav Yehuda's uh, teaching and attach it or apply it to the Reisha, the Reisha of the Mishnah that spoke about a general Shvua exemption, 
not and, and not knowing from the Mishnah what Shua it's referring to, and you interpreted that, uh, you know, as you Rav Mordechai took Rav Yehuda's comment that spoke about Shua Sapatrobson and uh, uh, referred it to the Rasha of the Mishnah, and as a result of that, you ended up having Rav Yehuda arguing with Rav Nachman, and and then you come up with this question, Anan. We, says Ravashi, aho masninon law. We take Rav Yehuda's statement about some, Rav Yehuda made a statement concerning apotrosis, but we take his statement and attach it to the Seifa, the continuation of the Mishnah, and you'll see how Rav Yehuda was talking about one thing and Rav Nachman talking about something else. They're not arguing. What's the application of Rav Yehuda to the Seifa? So first we read the Seifa. And that's what you see in the frame. After the burial of her husband, she went back home, either to her father's house or to her, her husband's place, and she did, she did not become an apotropis. She didn't do any apotropis activity. The, the heirs cannot impose any shvuas on her. This is a woman that had received a shvua exemption. If she is now appointed at this point, she becomes appointed in apotropsis. She can be made to swear concerning any activities, uh, any financial activities from this point onwards, and not uh, not retroactively. The the Gemara uh, says sheovar my avidate. We look at Rashi like to explain this uh, this phrase right across from here. Rashi says Sha'ovar Mayavidite Klomar Ad Mosai Korui Lashovar. How far back is called the past the Loam Rinon that we would not say Nichsi Diasminu the Ain Tnai Shalo Moil Bohen that it's the property of the Yasimim and that the husband's exemption does not uh, apply. The husband made an exemption concerning his properties, not the properties that are owned by the heirs. At a certain point, it becomes the heirs' property. So, what? How far back does this go? When when the Mishnah says that we don't make her swear concerning the ovar, because that at that point it was still the husband's properties. Omar Rav Yudah Marav Al Apetroipio Shinasis Bechaye Baal She cannot be made to swear concerning uh, Apetropis activities, executor type activities, while her husband was alive. Avobain Miso Lekvura Mashbeinon Law. However, any um, commercial activity that she conducted between the time of death and the time of burial, uh, that's a time that the properties are considered the heirs. So they can impose shvuas on her. So Rav Matona argues in Rav Yehuda and says that even uh, sales that she might have conduct, conducted between the husband's death and the husband's burial, they cannot make her swear. And there's a reason for that. 
the Amri Nardoi, in Nardoi it was said, it was ruled, the cargo, the Mazoni, Masveninon below Achrizosa. Now we've dashed on like the Kvura uh, because that's the uh, point of focus for our discussion. Sales of, let's say, heirs' properties that are made, sales that are made in order to pay off Karga is a head tax. Mizoni is to provide for them their daily food needs. And Likvura means for the purpose of burying the husband. The heir's properties can be sold, Masvinion, Beloch Rezosa means without, uh, without uh, uh, we'll say, a public auction of the properties. When, we, when you have a public auction, you, you, you are able to fetch a, high, a higher price, uh, or, or we, like an anticipated higher price. Uh, but when it comes to things of this, we'll say, urgency, sales can be made for... Uh, for Whatever price that she that that can be fetched for that for those sales, Rashi points out a few lines down from Masveninon without the need for a public announcement. literally means a public announcement. There's a procedure that we're not good. we don't have to get into the detail of, but it's it's a more, it's a more time consuming uh, type sale when you subject it to the public auction. Here, Shane Shalus, there's no time, Umosun Ladover, there's no time to be, to tarry with this matter. So, just like with regard to uh, sales, we're going to sell and not necessarily get the best price for it, but because of the urgency, and by the same token, we're not going to impose an oath on her for that sale. It's impossible for her to avoid uh, cheapening it, selling it at a cheaper rate, causing a loss. And if she would have to swear that that I caused no loss, it would be a it would be a a, 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 a lie, be an oath, a, a false oath. So as far as the um, the position of Rabbi Huda about um, his his comment, he made a comment al It had no reference to the beginning of the Mishnah where there was an exemption issued by the husband concerning oaths, but rather it had to do with the definition of of al heovar uh, in the Sefa of the Mishnah. So, as, th- as far as things go, then, if you're going to ask, what does the exemption of the, of the uh, Mishnah cover in the beginning of it, you'd be, according to version number two of the Gemara, you're left with Rav Nachman's uh, explanation that the, the, the Stam, the undefined Shvu exemption, covers the case of Pogemes Ksubasa, where she, impo- where it's a, where, where she um, put herself in the situation of, of, uh, of needing to take an oath. Um, as far as what uh, Rav Nachman's position is uh, regarding Shuas uh, Apatropsin, so if we take a look at Rashi, let's look at Rashi together. Uh, we're, going, we're backtracking a bit, but it's in the upper part of the narrow lines. Uh, Rashi says, Anan, Asefo de Masnisen Masninen Law. This was uh, Rav Ashi's response to Rav Mordechai and says that we take Rav Yehuda's point and attach it to the Seifa, the end of the Mishnah. There the Mishnah, in the end of the Mishnah, deals explicitly with Shvuas Apatroipen de Kotani. 
the Mishnah said, Ve'im na'asis apetroipya. Udu Rav Nachman, as far as Rav Nachman that appeared on the top line of the Gemara, Lava plukted Rav Yehuda Itmar. He is not coming to as a response to Rav Yehuda whatsoever, because Rav Yehuda never spoke about the Reisha. Elo apirusha de Reisha Itmar. He is dealing with the explanation of the beginning of the Mishnah. Rav Matona poligad Rav Yehuda b'seifa beheap b'shrubs his komar l'shoavar. There is a machlokis the Rav Yehuda has, but that's with Rav Matona, as we saw in the Gemara on the, on the Seifa, regarding how far back. Now here is the point that I wanted to get to in the Rashi. Regarding Pogemes, Pogemes, Kulu, Modu, Departure. Everyone is in agreement when a woman receives an exemption, she, her exemption covers the Pogemes situation. It's a shvua that comes as a result of, of the husband's property. So when the husband issued an exemption, his exemption covered the properties that were his. The collection of the ksuba is a collection from his properties. So that the when the husband issues an exemption, it... Um, Everyone agrees that it covers the case of Pogemes. Now, what's, what's interesting to note, this is a, a detail, that um, how, this, how this second approach is contrasted with the first approach, because in the first approach, um, we had, a, uh, we had, a, we had I'll say, a Svara that said that the exemption according to Rav Yudah, covered Apetropsis, but it wouldn't have covered Pogemes Ksubasa. And at that point in the Gemara, the Svara was that Pogemes Ksubasa is a shvur that she brings on herself. At this point in the Gemara, we're saying that everyone will agree that, Pogem- that when a husband issues an exemption, it certainly covers the case of Pogemes Ksubasa.